Cradleine Network. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Eli, and this is the podcast where two Americans patrol their way to the Judge Dredd magazine. This episode, we're talking about the Judge Dredd magazine, volume two, issues seven and eight. Cover dates, July 25th and August 8th, 1992. This episode, Death Comes to Mega City 2, will finish off the bad man. Various plans are revealed in Soul Sisters, Judge Anderson clucks about, and Devlin Waugh gets finished off. But not for long. <laughs> Alright, how you doing this time, Eli? I'm doing great. All right, and I should remind everybody listening that um, we recorded all of our Judgment Day coverage as part of a big ultra crossover event, so it's on a slightly different continuity than Eli and I at the moment. Just just standard comic book things, really, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and if you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd the Complete Case Files 17, Judge Anderson the Sci Files 2, Devlin Dwaugh, Swimming in Blood, and the Judge Dredd Magazine 300. All right. And, hey, speaking of uh, explosive continuations, Eli. Ah. You're just... <laughs> just right into it. A lot of people... Yeah, or just a lot of people dying out where we live on the West Coast. Let's talk about Story 1, Judgment Day. Script robot Garth Ennis, art robot Peter Doherty, Chris Halls, Carlos Escara, and Dean Ormston. Letter robot Tom Frame. We're back in the judgment zone with Team Feck. Woo! <laughs> it's that, All right. that, that's going to stick, huh? <laughs> yeah, listen, are you kidding me? I, I tried the other ones, all right? There's like Team Ceph. That's not as good. C-E-F. Um, E-F-C. I don't know. I, I don't even really, really know how to pronounce that. Efk? Something like that? Fex where it's at, buddy. <laughs> Before we get into this, I want to say, so we're about to have um, Johnny Alpha and Judge Dredd teaming up, or at least meeting each other, you know, whatever. So I wanted to ask you two what your favorite comic book team-ups are, or just team-ups in Ooh. general, I guess. Mm. Um, uh, mine would be uh, Deku teaming up with Bakugo. Uh from My Hero Academia. Ooh. I'm going just straight anime with it. <laughs> That's fun. Because right. well, those guys are such enemies, so it's fun when they right. work together, certainly. I'm trying to think of something that... Because I, I, I immediately was going to say Freddy versus Jason, but they're not they're against each other in that. Right. It's... <laughs> I think Freddy's like manipulating Jason, I think, yeah. in, the, in, the, in, the, in the course of that, I guess. That's true. I mean, it's, it's my favorite horror icons. Um, hmm. Oh, I know. Um, Scooby-Doo and um, uh, the Harlem Globetrotters. Nice. <laughs> Listen, these are two great tastes that taste great together. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Solving these mysteries. Well, revealing and they, they had the superpowers, too, because it's from the cartoon. Oh, oh, super power. Oh, man. Superpowered Globetrotters. Always the key. That's a good that's a good group. Certainly. <laughs> I think for me, it's something it's something cl like um you're like Superman, Spider-Man kind of thing. I like when two iconic guys get together, you mm. know, especially when they have wildly different powers. Because like in that one, they had to like power up Spider-Man so that he could hope to hang against Superman, you know. 
Right. <laughs> Otherwise, this is just not going to be able to handle it, you know. Or, or just like, you know, honestly, I like a big crossover. I like when sort of you get like five or six comics all together and they're all do you know all these different people are doing stuff and it's real unwieldy like i think that's always really fun like um actually in the crossovers i mentioned going on in marvel this year in 92 like there's rise of the midnight suns which is like ghost rider and um all these other and like morbius this vampire guy and all the other kind of spooky or like like horror themed (laughs) marvel heroes all getting together to go on a big uh, on a big adventure i feel like you could throw in some swamp thing in there although i don't think they're the same comic Swamp, sw- yeah, Swamp Thing's DC, but it's very Damn. much a similar thing. Like DC has had, the, it's like they they call it like Justice League Dark or the Trenchcoat Brigade or something like that, which is where like Constantine and Phantom Stranger and all these other like uh, you know horror or ghost based um, heroes all get together and, and fight a bigger foe. Always fun. And speaking of spooky villains, oh. the zombie apocalypse <laughs> continues on the border wall of Mega City One. <laughs> <laughs> Dreads had the wall rigged with fire weapons, and they're all set off. We get these massive explosions. Uh, art by Peter Doherty here. It's big old bombs going off. There's enough munitions to keep the wall burning for 36 hours, and oh, after God. that, they're basically SOL. <laughs> Dreads got a pretty serious wound in his side. Everybody keeps mentioning it, but he ain't got time to bleed, uh, Predator style. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's another good crossover when Dread Ooh, fights yeah. Predator. Or so I've heard, at least. We'll see eventually. Um but suddenly a madman comes prophesying doom once more, specifically doom at the hop shoppery a couple of floors down. He calls Dread Chin Face and then <laughs> jumps off the side of the wall into the flames and the undead. Because that's the kind of burn that you got to get out of there as soon as possible before Dread comes back at you. <laughs> Go to hell, Chin Face. I'm dead. Yeah, right. All right. I like his I like his lines. Uh our doom is nigh. Matter of fact, I quite fancy being the nighest. He was he was <laughs> That's right. Having a good time, absolutely. Yeah. Play him out, Johnny. <laughs> Definitely. So Dread Hershey and Judge Spencer head down to investigate and they find a bunch of zombies still active inside the walls of the city. They start fighting them, but there's just an ass load of these guys, apparently. Cause they're <laughs> soon overwhelmed. Judge Spencer's grabbed and Dread Mercy kills him before he can be ripped apart. He and Hershey are down to their last clips, fighting back to back, when suddenly a voice rings out telling him to get down. It's Chief Magruder with a giant Gatling gun. Whoa. It's awesome. Where are these? You know? Yeah. Fair point. Is there only one? Is that like, is that that's Magruder's special drop so only she can carry it or something? But she wipes out these zombies and tells Dread about the upcoming summit in Hondo City. She's heading there and he's coming with. And Hershey is going to be acting chief judge while they're gone. All right. Good replacement. Hershey in command. Definitely cool. On the Justice One to Hondo City, Dread finally gets some medical attention. He had a punctured lung, we find, which is ridiculous. <laughs> he's one tough cookie. It's like, thought I was short of breath. Like, like buddy, like, you know. <laughs> Got these one-liners se- lined up. Right. That's a serious, like, thingamajig, you know? You can't. Your average dude is not just, like, walking around with a punctured <laughs> lug or whatever. Right. But I guess that I, I guess that's just Judge Dredd. Right. You know, he's good at this oh, stuff. Also, later, I want to ask you guys what you feel the toughest cookie is. I've been saying that phrase, and then I started Ooh. thinking more about it. 
Um, my current go Oof. is uh, those uh, knockoff Oreos where you put them in milk and then they don't actually oh, yeah. get any softer. I feel like that might be oh, the yeah, toughest the, cookie. The Hydrox or whatever. <laughs> right, right. Definitely a very tough cookie, right. certainly. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. Feel, Maybe that's Judge like, Dredd. Yeah, you know, an overcooked oatmeal. You know, mm-hmm. but those can be get kind of soft. Right. I guess you got it. Yeah, it has to be overcooked because if they cook it just right, then it's soft and uh, melts yeah, in your mouth. Like when, right. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when you go overcooked cookie, all it is is just you know you bite. Na- it's like a, a, a nasty chips ahoy. <laughs> yeah, cement or something. Right. <laughs> I gotta disagree because I think the toughest cookie, even though they're baked correctly, are the like uh, sugar or butter cookies that your grandma keeps in a metal <laughs> tin on top of the refrigerator. That's very stale cookies. That's like well, they let those sit several guys- years before they sell those. <laughs> Listen, yeah, well, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> they age them at the store, and then I think <laughs> like a fine my wine. grandma had this, had the same one for my entire life, basically. <laughs> Store-aged ginger snaps. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying that there wasn't extra stuff in there. I'm just saying that 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 is the toughest. Okay. That's all. <laughs> they lasted that long, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, they're taking you out. Um, <laughs> Okay, hold on. Oh, God. Where'd I go? Where have I at? Okay, punctured lung. There we go. Okay. All the judges, they, the, uh, the judges blast into Hondo where they have to like sort of fly till they're over the city and then like vertical takeoff down to it. Because I guess if you get far enough off Earth, planes work again, but you can't get too close otherwise. Okay. They're met by Sadu, and he introduces Johnny Alpha, and Dread, of course, opens um, um, opens relations by immediately cracking wise about, like, Wolf. Like, oh, where's the fat guy? <laughs> and uh, Johnny's not d- – doesn't want to hear that stuff. Nah, man. He just went on a rampage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, the story that was it was called Rage. That's it, just that's it. <laughs> it was crazy. Anyway, the two promise to have a rematch when it's convenient for the current situation. Well, yeah. <laughs> as soon as this apocalypse is over, you and me, right? <laughs> that's confidence. That's right. A lot of a lot of fist fist raisings here. Um, at the conference, it's revealed there's basically no way to stop Sabat unless they can find the power source of his abilities. Dread brings up the blue light he saw, and Judge Hokkaido identifies it as Earth Power. Oh, man, you know how I feel about this, Conrad? You know how I feel about this Earth Power crap? Earth Power, buddy. He's tapped into the dragon lines, nah, feng man, shui, the song lines, the network of energy that runs under the earth, etc. God. <laughs> so this is – that makes sense. I didn't realize it was so ongoing, but they're just different names for it. I guess so. Very fun. We've definitely seen we've seen song lines. Actually, I think we talked a little bit about song lines in Man. both the Chopper stories in the magazine mm-hmm. and in the Prague. When that's why Fox hates him so much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's this fucking Star Signals bullshit. Sorry. Yeah. And we also recently there was a lady that used Feng Shui abilities to beat up Dread. Oh yeah, um, early, earlier yeah. this year, her ability to place a chair in a certain corner of her room. You know. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you know <laughs> that there's there's different aspects of feng shui. I guess right. it's like it's like tai chi. It can be people in the park doing some stretches, or it can be like flying through the air, balancing on swords and kicking people in the face. You know, right. yeah, very so with feng shui dragon. Right. Yeah, come on, it's fun. I do think it's fun. <laughs> the uh, combination of uh, sci-fi with some spiritual elements, having like oh, magic, yeah. like. 
I always find that really interesting. If you go too far one or the other, I start getting uninterested. But once they're just mm. people in lab coats being like ley lines that you know produce energy <laughs> by magic, I'm like, all right, this is I mean, we are yeah, something. And- previously they are like oh we've checked there's no psychic or magic things related to this right. like, you guys you're, you're doing magic here right <laughs> like there's there's so much of that within the universe of dread that i love they right. really just it, it mm-hmm. can be anything inclusive of vampires zombies black magic right oh, God. absolutely yeah this idea that like <laughs> They come here. There's no moment where it's like magic, but that's impossible. Right? Just like, all right, like this is no, we've got magic a we haven't magic seen before. We just got to figure it out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Put the magic department on it, and we'll uh, we'll solve it. Yeah, we got teams. Whatever. <laughs> um, but so it seems like if Sabat's using this, it could definitely be used to raise the dead, and probably also be what's scrambling the aircraft and stuff. So hey, good times. But I just, what's Sabat up to anyway? What's his What's his end game? And Sabat will tell you because he just teleported into the meeting room. I'm right over here. I've been behind you the whole time. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> He's a bad guy. He's got the Dave Gribble. Oh, my God. Yes, the Necromagus appears in the meeting hall. Everybody pulls guns, and he's like, whoa, everybody's real jumpy. He basically is just here to offer them a quick death. Like, I'm going to win. Oh, sorry. He offers them a quick death, and then Dredd shoots him in the forehead with no effect. And he does the grossest thing, which is dig around for the bullet with his finger in the wound. Like, ah. Just pulls it out of his head. Yeah. Right. He announces that Mega City 2, Sinosit, Jakarta, South Am City, and Brasilia have all been completely destroyed by his hordes of undeads. So are you you're gonna say something, Eli? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Just gross. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he says they've all been destroyed. His undead army now numbers in the billions. Your only choice is how fast you'll die and then join my undead armies, basically. He suggests everybody just nerve gassing their cities and then killing themselves. <laughs> then teleports away. <laughs> A Hondo judge confirms that all of those cities have no, no signs of life. And Dread has a, sim- a pretty simple plan. Nuke them. We nuke those cities to destroy the vast amounts of undead troops. Even if there are human survivors, you know, they're at a point where they're living. We envy the dead at this point. Um, Then we trace the source of Sabat's power, find him, and then nail his ass to the wall. It's a hard choice, but hey, this is Judgment Day. Oh, man. (laughs) I've been waiting for that close-up pan. Right. <laughs> gotta gotta do it. I do you know. I do feel like uh I wonder if they ever go into uh and I, I learned more about Judge Death, but I was saying he must be proud of like what's going on here. This seems like Judge Death's jam. Uh he can't be against it, certainly. I mean he wants everybody to die. Right. You know. Maybe he I, did maybe he's not I a mean, fan of zombies. Maybe he'd be upset yeah. by that. Mm. Ooh, yeah. All these he's half those... dead. Yeah, on death for me, but not for thee kind of guy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I will say he's given Judge Death a freaking run for his money. Right. By a yeah, lot. Not, certainly, certainly not the first time Dredd has ordered the uh, the nuclear annihilation of a quite a number of people. <laughs> but now he's upgrading from millions to billions, you know, <laughs> increasing that um, that, that, that uh, decimal he's, point he's, there. I he's guess. no really has. Yeah, no, I was yeah, – exactly <laughs> – 
Hey, listen, I've already hit the high score once, and I've got to make make sure I right. remain the incumbent. Right. <laughs> when I was when I was going over the um the Judge Red case files for that for that recent series of collections we did, I, I I remembered in the early days of the podcast, I had a kill count for Judge Dredd, just how many people he oh, killed God, in the course yeah. of his adventures. The problem is that after uh, after Apocalypse War and now after this, any additional ones are just sort of rounding area errors, basically. <laughs> right. Like, huh. no one even cares, you that, know? That's actually interesting. I hadn't thought of that. I'm working on an art piece where it's going to be uh, people that have killed a lot. So it has like Thanos Ooh. from Avengers and like all the, you know, just everyone yeah. I can think of. I just recently remembered I got to add Rick from Rick and Morty. He's killed yep. like things. But now I'm like, oh, yeah, Dread. Obviously. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't don't count Dread out. <laughs> right. He's he's in the running right. for for the, for most kills, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's a little indirect by pressing the button of a nuke, but it's still it's still right. pretty direct. I, you know? I do wonder <laughs> if I'd, I'd rather put Judge Death on there just as a because they all seem to be villains. So I'm wondering, like, mm. Judge Death technically killed a dimension of Earth. Just so I, no, that's eh, that's actually you know. that's really accurate. He made an entire tomb world, right? Yeah, and he was probably more personal about it as well. Right. You know, right? <laughs> Let's get up, up, get intimate with it. Not, yeah, I get it because there, there's that there there is that statue of him killing the last human, <laughs> <in> the world, <laughs> you know? which you got to imagine they had to make that. Like that's arts and crafts for them, right? Maybe the last maybe the last human was a sculptor, and they sort of waited for him to finish. Yeah. Oh. Right, <laughs> then they killed him. It's like so. Judge Death's like sort of getting the angle right so that it looks like the statue. You know? Yeah. Oh man, I, I I hope we find out someday. <laughs> I, I don't know if we will. But that'll be funny. Um, so we're back in the magazine. Chris Halls is on 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 art. He'll do a few magazine covers, but this is only his work inside the magazine or the Prague. The sun rises on Mega City 2 and then rises again as it gets hit by a TAD, a total annihilation device shot by Mega City 1. What is it, East like 100 Meg nukes in one or something like that? Yeah, yeah, we saw these during the Apocalypse War, actually. Um, the um, Mega City 1 used them to strike back against the uh, against Softset 1, but then they used that shield that warped all the nukes to another dimension oh. where they blew up a completely innocent Earth. <laughs> yeah, it was like – it was a glorious utopia where everyone was like hands in hands with the planet living in – Wow. That's right. Yeah. yeah. F that. <laughs> we don't need any of that. They didn't know where the nukes were going to go, but the Sovs were like, oh, yeah, this seems like a good one to drop some spare bombs are. Oh, jeez. Um, East Meg 2 nukes Jakarta, and there's just nukes flying all over the place. The judges look on as the people they're killing. Two billion people killed, either by nukes or zombies, but now it's time to save the living. Sabat looks on at the destruction. It's a bummer, but not unexpected. He also notices that the San Andreas Fault's finally gone. So there goes the West Coast, I guess. God. Um, just just idly, just a, a, a an aside there. <laughs> The techs are tracing the source of the Earth power, and Dredd decides to go back to Justice One to, like, take a nap or something. <laughs> but there's no rest for the wicked, I, I gotta say. <laughs> because Sadu follows him, and it's rematch time! He says Dredd let him, let him win the last time they fought, which, was, which I believe he did. It was part of an elaborate scheme... To help hide this secret, this android secret agent, Mega City One, had embedded in Hondo. There were like listening devices involved and who knows what else. 
Sadu says he wants to fight Dredd at his best. And despite having a punctured or a recently punctured lung, Dredd's happy to give his best. (laughs) He pulls out his day stick and just like two hits, like one day stick shot just completely destroys uh, Sadu's tendo stick. And another one just goes right across his face. And like, I feel like it just vaporizes his helmet, basically. He was wearing one and then he's spitting blood and not wearing (laughs) one, you know? (laughs) That new tech. <laughs> yeah. Um, he Dread yells at Sadu for picking a fight as the world is ending. What's wrong with you folks out here in the boondocks? When Johnny Alpha arrives and tells him to pick on someone his own size. Oh, man. The two men stare down. They're both the best, as, the, the best at what they do. And then they wordlessly go to fight. And it's uh, not even that close. No. <laughs> Dread kicks the crap out of Johnny. He's like grinding his face against the wall and stuff uh. like that. Johnny gets a cheap shot, then goes back to choke Dread. And things are getting desperate in this fight when the call comes in from Chief Magruder. They found Sabat. It's time for payback. Back in the progs with Carlos Escara as the judges, including a slightly battered Sadu and Johnny Alpha, are briefed on the – I'm calling it ley line stuff. That's what I always called it as. But whatever. Yeah. Earth earth magic thingamajigs. Um, in, the, in the map they show, they're strangely similar to the latitude and longitude lines you see on a globe. Don't worry about it too much. Um, <laughs> there's mention also of that Shojan the warlord guy using ley lines. In the uh, in like this story where he where he came to Mega City One, which had become the focus of the ley lines, and then summoned a bunch of giant Giants ghost samurais samurai, yeah. to destroy the city. And it's kind of funny because like Magruder's chuckling over the fact that Dread has beaten up Sadu and Alpha, and seemingly not not remembering that that's the situation that actually led to her resigning as uh, Chief Justice originally, mm-hmm. or as Chief Judge, whatever. Um, Anyway, now the ley lines have moved their focus to the middle of the rad lands of G, which seem to be sort of in in China, a little bit north of Korea, um, off the coast of uh, Hondo. Magruder says they have to head in and stop Sabat, but apparently the rad lands are full of chaotic magic. It's hell on earth there. But listen, like Earth's full of zombies. It's hell on earth everywhere. We got to do this thing, you know? <laughs> The Hondo judges says it might be possible with their new battle suits. And if you're like me, when they talk about battle suits in a Japanese setting, you perk up immensely. I was right, like, yeah. let's see these suits. <laughs> Gundams, Gundams, Gundams. Come on. <laughs> the plan is to send in one judge from each city and then a bunch of Hondo dudes for numbers. Dread will be in command over the objections of a judge from uh, Ciudad Barranquilla. The roster is going to be Dread. Armor from Britsit, Bruce from Oz, Joyce from Murphyville, Sadu from Hondo, Corzo from uh, Banana City, Cida Barranquilla, and Judge Brill Cream from East Meg 2, as well as, you know, a bunch of red shirts. It's fine. Right. Uh. <laughs> Actually, I thought it was really fun. It was really nice seeing all the different judges from the different places. Like, that was always something that really interested me. Absolutely. And I also really like that um, these are all. I think Corzo showed up a little bit, but mostly these are all judges from um, previous Judge Dread adventures, mm-hmm. basically. It's sort of all of these different characters who we've met before in different situations all coming together for this one big final fight. Love these different helmet styles, man. Different helmets, different outfits. It's excellent. But 
So we're bringing in all these people for this final assault, but Alpha's out. He's just a bounty hunter, man. You can't trust these guys. Uh, Sadu apologizes, and Dredd seems resigned to uh, Dredd's decision. Like hell. <laughs> we see the uh, K-2000 Samurai Ground attack suit. It's pretty awesome. Big silver battle suit with some Japanese styling. Like it's got that kind of samurai helmet and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. And they've got 20 of them. Good oh, times. And it's got a gauntlet, which is a gun gauntlet. Awesome. It's got it's got two. Yeah, you got these wrist guns. <laughs> Bruce and Joyce josh around a bit before they sort of get deployed. Uh, jo- Joyce goes to go, go goes to the Jacks, which I believe is Irish for bathroom. Um, but as he goes, Johnny Alpha ambushes him. And I appreciate that this isn't just sort of a one punch knockout. Like they actually go back and forth quite a bit here in this fighting. And he's but still eventually, a judge. Joyce. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's still got, even though I guess like Murphyville or Emerald Isle, they're sort of like the least threatening of the judges. He still holds his own against Johnny Alpha, at least for a little bit. Um, but in the end, he, he gets knocked out and Johnny takes his place in the battle suits. The judges are flying out. The, the plan is to land in the Radlands and fight their way to Sabat. Anything could happen, and Sabat will know they're coming, so their chances are nearly zero. But listen, that's better than, I guess, just plain zero. <laughs> so, so and I love that everybody's wet. Definitely, and I love that everybody's wearing their helmets under their uh, inside the suits. <laughs> it's right. it's it's quite literally because we've seen spacesuits with the same thing. They build everything to go around the helmets. Yeah, I'm not taking my helmet off. All right, right. screw that. <laughs> I also feel like there is a reference to Gundams with a little um, V thing on their head. That reminds me of like Gundam Wing. I don't see – I mean, maybe it's going to come into play, but seeing it, that was my my immediate thought. Definitely. Well, I think it's either Gundam or like they're both inspired by like traditional samurai helmets, I guess. Uh, I could see that. I can see that too, yeah. But I mean, that sort of definitely is a style I feel like of like, you know, a a samurai helmet to have that like – yeah, that like – v-shaped arc thing in the front of them yeah if if someone someone killed somebody with that arc thing that would be the coolest i'm just saying just waiting to see judge dread just look at look at a a pacifist young girl and say i will kill you (laughs) (laughs) it's hard out there in these gundam streets you know if they're really gundam inspired everybody would have a suit that sort of has their own inspirations from their towns and stuff like that (laughs) right right like Judge Bruce's would be shaped like a kangaroo or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just really good at kicks, right? Yeah, come on. I remember that Gundam that 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 one season at Gundam where everybody had their own country themed robots, and there was that one from Holland that had a big windmill in it. Like, you oh, know, I, 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 I remember. It's good times. G Gundam or whatever. It's a big windmill. <laughs> um. So yeah. Johnny hopes as they fly out that this 10 million is worth it for all the trouble he's going to. It takes about out, you know. <laughs> the judges make their jump. They deploy parachutes to avoid getting messed up by all that earth energy. Uh. As they approach the ground, they see it's just a massive seething carpet of zombies. 
So they cut their shoots, Dread lands hard and sets his suit to total offense mode. He's got wrist guns. He's shooting shoulder rockets. He's just blasting everything that moves. It's pretty awesome. The last judge to drop is Corzo from Ciudad Barranquilla. And when he does his suit, uh, he lands on a hillside and his suit actually crashes through the earth and into some sort of tunnel system, which he just starts rolling through. He kind of Raiders of the Lost Arks his way through the tunnel systems here. (laughs) Dread orders the judges to follow Corzo and we learn they've already lost two of the uh, Hondo red shirts. (laughs) Sadhu tosses a bomb to clear a path. And it looks like Judge Bruce, Bruce is in trouble. His helmet's been ripped off and the zombies are coming after him. Johnny Alpha goes to save him and gets exposed. And he's just like, ah, you have to shoot me later, Dread. I'm busy now. As he, Bruce, and Dread all stand back to back and shoot at the zombie horde. It's awesome. Uh, so Bat's getting a little nervous because Hondo and Mega City One are holding against his attacks. When suddenly Corzo comes crashing through the roof. God. Lying at Sabat's feet, he begs to surrender, and naturally Sabat strips him of his armor and tosses him into an Iron Maiden that appears from someplace. Right. He just keeps those around. You never know when you Definitely, might. yeah. When you're evil enough, it never hurts to have an Iron Maiden just in case. It really you know. ties the room together. Right. How are they? Yeah, come on. How are they going to know you're evil? You get, like, ridiculed by the other villains if you don't freaking have one. Yeah, where's your accoutrement, buddy? Come on. <laughs> get it together. <laughs> so we're back in the magazine with Dean Orm. Um, Ormston, he's drawn these bat. It's interesting to see sort of he's drawn these battle suits a little bit less fancy than Ascara did, just for the record. Um, <laughs> the judges are in the tunnels fighting their way through, but it's going tough. Sabat questions uh, Corzo, who just immediately gives up the goods about the judges coming in and stuff like that. And Sabat's wow. like, a bunch of judges. That's that's ridiculous. They'll just get eaten alive. And then he prepares to use some sort of magic chainsaw to cut open Corzo's magic face. chainsaw. Where did he get that? But <laughs> Corzo then just like in one big long word, in a, in, a, in a sentence long word, explains that they're coming in c- cool battle suits, so they might have more of a chance than you might think. <laughs> um, and so uh, uh, Sabat confirms this with his magic view screens and decides to make a deal with Corzo after all. Back in Hondo, Judge Joyce reports that um, Johnny Alpha took his place. And then we get uh, messages coming in from all the remaining re- mega cities. They're all being overrun by the undead. We cut to uh, Mega City One. The zombies have pushed through the fire, but Hershey refuses to give up. She tells Judge Gaylord to stop whining and start shooting. Just cheap shot. In the tunnels, the suits are running out of ammo. Um, they're just sort of using the big swords that come out of them to take these zombies out, which is also awesome. Um <laughs> And Dredd says that they'll have to seal the outside tunnels so that more zombies can't keep pouring in to kill them. That means they won't be able to get out. But listen, that's why they call it a suicide mission. You know, like <laughs> you can't worry about getting out. Right. So Judge Brill Cream agrees to do it. He just gets an armload of explosives and runs to the uh, to the entryway. Blows up. His final words are another pickup line to Hershey. It's like, we could have made the earth move together. Then blows up, moving the earth in his own way. Um, The judges prepare to head out, or they all prepare to head out as Judge Bruce dies in Johnny's arm. He says Alpha's not a bad bloke for a palm, which which is Commonwealth slang for an Englishman, basically. 
Like, never forget that uh, Johnny Alpha is a Brit. He's got an English accent and stuff when he's doing all this stuff. Strange thing for me to think about. <laughs> it's I really think of him as, as as American. It's hard for me not to. Um, there's only six judges left when suddenly Judge Corzo comes stumbling out of the tunnels. He's found some. I found Sabat. Come with me through this fissure where it's too where it's so tight. You got to take your battle suits off. All right. Oh, it's real dark in here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh my god. Maybe you guys should just like put your put the barrels of your guns against your heads, you know, while I'm doing this. It could be for good right. luck. <laughs> it's dark in the cabins they're on for, but not for long as Corzo reveals that they're surrounded by a bunch of those giant undead monsters. Sabat was building his Charnax. Corzo explains he's made a, a deal with Sabat, but before he can get too far into it, Dredd shoots him in the face. Oh, yeah. Some deal that was. <laughs> right, deal that. <laughs> But now six regular judges have to take on these giant undead monsters, which doesn't look good. Next time, in the conclusion of Judgment Day, Hayek's overdoses and getting to grips with Sabat. Ooh, it's exciting. Things are about to get weird. Story two, The Soul Sisters. Gift robot David Bishop and Dave Stone. Art robot Shaky Kane. Letting robot Ellie DeVille. Here we go. The Soul Sisters. Okay, you <laughs> Issue seven of the Soul Sisters starts with a full page recap of the story so far, which doesn't seem like a good sign to me if just because this thing's going to end in like two episodes. So it seems like right. they're really worried about people not knowing that how this thing makes sense, basically. Right. Which is a fair concern, I think. There's a lot going on. Absolutely, yes. But basically, this lady who's the head of a holy order of nuns, Aunt Incipia, and her lady goons from the National Frump have taken over the media of Britsit in the future, or even the future from Judge Dredd, like the 2170s. They've taken over the future. Meanwhile, the uh, p- uh, Pope Bob II has been assassinated but his robot double still lives. The evil doctor Delirium has loosed a bunch of sex-crazed zombies onto the city. And the two-headed mob boss, the Craze Brothers, are being attacked by those zombies. So whatever. Here we go. Oh, and in, I guess, trying to stop them through all this is the superhero duo called the Soul Sisters. Although, honestly, they aren't very actively involved in the <laughs> goings-on of this plot. Right. I can't help but notice. Right, right. <laughs> very interesting how that yeah. works out. Yeah, they, they definitely spent a lot of this this episode being captured, I'll say. <laughs> um, so, as the Craze Brothers are punching these zombies, a passing judge, Lestrade, no relation, sees the melee, wades in to help the gangsters, and the two of them team up to stop Dr. Delirium dispatching the Flying Squad. And I should say, Eli, that the Flying Squad is like a pretty, is a pretty standard term for, um, in like British television, I guess. I believe it was a reference to an old British TV show called like The Nick or something like that. But basically, the Flying Squad was this squad of police officers who weren't bound by a certain precinct and went after like tough criminals and oh. stuff like that. Sort of proto cops on the edge, right. as we always like to talk about. That's fun. Basically. But like English, you know, right. so it's like, hello, hello, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, at the media tower, Auntie and Scipia 
tightens her grip on the city and some prisoners are brought to her. Oh, it's the Soul Sisters. And Scipia takes a page to reveal her past where her hydroponic farm slash mansion was exploded and she vowed never to be poor again. Gone with the wind style, I guess. And now she's completing her insane quest for power. A new world order with her at the head of the church. Not a pope, but a mom. Whoa. (laughs) It's like a pope, but with M's instead of O's. You see what's going on here. Exactly, yes. Ma? I don't know. Mom. I'm I'm just trying to pronounce it like pope. Right. M's. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Instead of of P's, they replaced all the P's with M's. So, yeah, because they're maternal right. instead of instead of paternal right. or whatever. So is it set up pop? It's mom. So, no, that nah, still doesn't really work. Yeah, <laughs> she, Listen, she didn't think it through yeah. well enough. I feel like I feel like you just keep saying pope, but then you say like woman pope or something. Right. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how it works. I'm not a linguist. Right. You know, fair. Um, but anyway, the Soul Sisters say that Incipia's nuts, and so she calls in her boyfriend, Dr. Delirium. Oh, these stories are connected, I guess. Okay, fair enough. On live TV, the Soul Sisters are announced as having been captured as robot Pope Robert has pulled off his own leg and is doing, like, robo-maintenance on himself, I guess. But then he decides to act. He reaches into a box of sexy techno grud stuff, and we'll see where this goes, I guess. <laughs> At the date, it, yeah, it's that's what it says in the box. It says yeah. sexy techno grud stuff. Yeah, yeah I get it. <laughs> yeah. At the data tower, a car with the crazes and Judge Lestrade shows up, and the guard. But before they can shoot, the guards are taken out by the hover van of the flying squad. They were literally flying. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Um, meanwhile, Dr. Delirium has filled a giant vat with his Orgo 9 mind control juice, prepares to reveal his master plan. Everybody's got a master plan, it seems. Yeah. But he says he's been infecting the National Frump with this mind control drug, and it'll soon trigger and destroy them all in a massive burst of sexiness, I guess. A literal orgy of sexiness, I suppose. Anyway, the Soul Sisters are tied to a laser cutter table, like uh, James Bond style, with dual lasers sort of moving up between their legs and about to cut them in half from the crotch upwards, I suppose. Yeah. It's a big cliffhanger, and next time we'll get we'll go off the side of that cliff because it's the bitter end for the Soul Sisters. I do feel as though the, you, uh, the James Bond villain... Like <laughs> lasering it in half. This seems so impractical these days. I mean, you just shoot them. You know, it's so much easier. Yeah, but no, it's true. <laughs> Listen, like, I mean, this is sort of the Austin Powers joke, right? right? But of just like that, all of these, like, oh yes, like this method of killing you will take thirty minutes. Kind of ways of killing people. <laughs> Just don't make sense if you think about them realistically, like right. at all. Right. You know? Yeah. I guess it's maybe it's just one of those bucket lists. I really want to cut a person in half with a laser, but everyone tells me I can't. So now that I have you here, Bond, I'm finally going to do it. You're definitely right. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if I was put, like, that's why you have a, la- a volcano base in the first place. Right. Exactly. You know? uh, like, there's definitely more practical places to have a base than. In a skull-shaped right. stone <laughs> fortress at the base of a volcano. Right. 
Yeah. But that's not fun. Right. Like, you exactly. know, if we're just going to, if we aren't going to indulge our baser instincts, then right. why even live a right. life of evil? Right. You know? If you're going to be an eccentric could, billionaire who can afford it. Yeah, I yeah. could. I could be staid and conservative and commit no crimes, Eli. That's what I'm trying to say. You know? Right. Fair point. <laughs> if I'm going to do evil, I got, you got to go big. You know, right. come on. <laughs> or, sorry. Only only a socially acceptable amount of crimes if you're just a rich guy. That's what right. I'm trying to say. Think, <laughs> think about it. Right. All right? I'm tapping my head here because <laughs> you got to think about it. All right. <laughs> But hey, oh hey, speaking of elaborate secret bases, actually, <laughs> let's go to story three, Devil in War, Swimming in Blood. All right, script robot John Smith, art robot Sean Phillips, lettering robot Steve Potter. All right, here we are, Eli. <laughs> In the underwater prison of Aquatraz, currently overrun by vampires. And as we're going through this, we see that we've got two stories going, basically. Uh, the main one is that the few surviving humans around here, including Vatican strongman Devlin Waugh, are making their way to what they hope is safety through a flooded pr- prison block. The other story is that the uh, three worst killers in the prison, now vampires, along with Landis, who's like the vampire boss... They're trying to swim out the side of the prison to escape and bring the vampire curse to the mainland. As you do. You know, you got to spread that vampirism. It's important. Yeah, exactly. Um, Part of the religion. Yeah, definitely. Down in the block, our, our exterminator friend Murray manages to get this nurse survivor with him to psych herself up to walk through the waist-deep water in the block. Um, but in the and in the middle of it... Um, Oh, sorry. And, and as they go, Devlin and Essex sort of stand in a romance novel cover pose <laughs> as Devlin almost confesses his love to the guard, Essex. But mm-hmm. then a whole bunch of vampires just come, you know, coming out. Like, first they sort of do the thing where it's like, oh, something's grabbing my ankle. And then just boom, bunch of mostly naked dudes pop out of the water here to attack everybody. <laughs> you know, bad times. Indeed. Meanwhile, the vampires persuade, uh, prepare to swim out of the prison, and vampire boss Landis seems to recognize some of Devlin's stuff floating around in the area here, which is it's concerning that he'd know who Devlin Waugh is, I guess. Mm. Um, uh, below decks, uh, more fighting, or um, as fighting breaks out below decks, the vampire Dietz tries to swim to safety past the underwater lasers of various submarines in the area. Everyone's getting killed as this exterminator fires his big dang gun at the vampires. And Devlin wades in. He punches a hole in a few vampires himself. And there's a pretty cool, just full screw. Or no, that's not yet. Excuse me. Yeah, he punches a hole in a a, a vampire's chest as well. Um, A submarine targeting system sees Dietz and engages with him as Devlin just slaps a vampire across the face and shows (laughs) off his big veiny arms and stuff like that. And they go to fight with a pretty awesome uh, uh, full-page image as the surviving humans try to open a portal and escape. But they find the door they're trying to escape through locked as Dietz gets lasered by a, su- by a sub and then the remains of his body is eaten by a shark. <laughs> so... Next, we see Devlin sworn by vampires as Dietz is sworn by sharks. There's a lot of, uh, you know, similarities in imagery here as we go through. And the other three survivors find a secondary door that they get open. 
as it seems that Landis has made contact with the sharks that have been eating the vampires and several of the, um, yeah, and we keep fighting. We see several of the vamps in the cell blocks are, in fact, naked. We're at Wang, Wang Alert 4 as we go through these stories here. You definitely see at least one. Um, <laughs> the survivors have, but the survivors eventually get through this side door and have made their way to some kind of undersea greenhouse, I guess, sort of in the glass dome part of Aquatraz. Um, and it seems like the UV light that the plant that keep the that uh, feed the plants here is actually deadly to the vampires, so the humans think they're safe. Right outside the prison, yeah, it's, you know, for for now, obviously. <laughs> outside the prison, some divers check marker buoys or buoys as they call them in England. I know what you're up about, and then sort of spray shark repellent when sharks come after them. The survivors think they're safe, and they even see those divers and, like, signal to them through the windows and stuff like that. The divers see the survivors, but then the lights go out. And elsewhere, it seems like the rest of the killer vamps have ridden those sharks to one of the submarines and are now trying to rip their way in through, like, the torpedo tubes or something. Um, As it becomes clear that this greenhouse is, in fact, now full of vampires. The killer vamps enter the ship as the greenhouse vamps prepare to kill the survivors when suddenly a voice rings out. It's a shirtless Devlin Waugh covered in seemingly fatal injuries, but with his new vampire teeth poking from beneath his lips. Whoa, he's a vampire. (laughs) Next time on Devlin Waugh, love and war. Yeah. He asks about the uh, Kim Kong killing techniques. So I'm, I, my yeah. only assumption is that he's been a vampire this whole time. Uh, yeah, there's he's, I have, uh, either I have so many he's, questions. He's been a vamp. Yeah, either he's been a vampire or he's very much like going to use his long term knowledge of the spiritual and mysticism to help his new vampire endeavors. You know, right? I'm curious. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what angle they're going with this. But well, yeah, waiting on that badassery. So. He thinks yeah. punching a hole through one human being is enough to get me off his case. He's got another thing coming. I th- yeah, you're definitely right, <laughs> Eli. <laughs> like, uh, like for someone who has we've we've obviously been promised with the muscles and the supercilious attitude and stuff like that that there was going to come a point where it'd be time to throw down and Devlin Waugh would be like a badass ass kicker, right? right? Yeah, because he's not very good at talking <laughs> and he doesn't seem super smart, <laughs> and so. In the triangle of, like, abilities, right. like, that means he's got to be good at, like, death-punching people. Right. And <laughs> his he has not proven himself to be all that good at it. Right. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's hope that vampirism has upped his game a little bit, you right. know? Yeah. So I want these guys to be successful. You know, it's no fun <laughs> when someone just goes out to fight and then gets killed. You know, right. like that was that's good. That's good one time in Raiders of the Lost Ark, but only because we've got we've built up such an expectation of badass fighting. Right. That to make not having the badass fighting be the norm is the inferior is the inferior way to go. Yeah. If you ask me. Yeah. I don't know. That's fair. No, I dig. I got feelings. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Let's cool out with things I have with something I got less feelings about, Eli, by talking about covers, dreadlines, and the Mega City News. 
So issue 7, volume 2 of the magazine, In Memoriam, a somber crucifix cover designed by David Bishop. Who lives? Who dies? We'll find out. The editorial tries to add scale to the death and dread this issue and teases an upcoming Judge Anderson story. The credit text says, The Darkest Hour. And in between Dread and Soul Sisters, there's again another teaser for the Mechanismo story, which we'll be jumping into in issue 12. Mid-prog, there's also a sneak preview of the 1993 Judge Dread yearbook, which I believe I covered a couple episodes ago. Again, also, I'm out of, out of time. Uh, my timelines are all messed up for this as well, but I believe it's been on the feed. Um, and the focus for that one is Britsit, so Armitage and uh, Straightjacket Fits and a couple other sort of Britsit-based um, Dread-adjacent stories. There's also a section of the Megaphiles with pictures from a signing at Forbidden Planet, complete with a Judge Dredd mascot palling around with kids and taking pictures with mohawked punks and so forth. Looks pretty cool. Um, there's also an ad with a bunch of fatties to get a subscription to the magazine. And then we get to Dreadlines, which has a bunch of letters discussing the issue of diversity in both uh, comics characters and creators and i'm you know this issue has a lot of pro diversity feeling which is where i come down for the most part mm. but i feel like it is also sad just to know that i feel like you could this exact same set of letters and their conversations could be printed now 30 years later as well yeah. you know yeah sort of a, a a continual thing of like we need more of of people saying either we need more representation and diversity as well as less stereotypes yeah. or people saying like hey it's just a comic who cares mm-hmm. you know <laughs> right. whatever make everybody white that's what <laughs> i don't see a problem um <laughs> right i don't know um other letters compliment artist chris halls and have a lot of questions about the future of judge dread and are, and how things are going generally in the magazine, and the response has some teases for the upcoming Anderson story. Then this issue ends with a mention of a 1993 Judge Dredd calendar that's going to be coming out in issues 10 through 12, which seems like another uh, like readership capture thing, basic, basically. Like, all right, like the big Judgment Day crossover ends in issue 9. But you're going to want to buy the next three issues as well to get this sweet calendar so you know what day it is, you know. Right. This is before, before cell phones, so you couldn't just check that for what day it is, right. Eli, right. you know. I get it. I've heard of those, the dark ages. It's- yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a hard time, you know. A lot of, a lot of like, like notepads and, and just big desk yeah. calendars and whatever else, you know. It was, it was weird. Anyway, issue eight, no words on this cover, just shaky cane drawing all the Soul Sister characters flying around looking crazy. Inside, there's um, a section for the 2008 Future Shop, Future Shop, complete with t-shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, badges, pins, and trading card sets of your favorite 2080 character. The editorial talks up the uh, penultimate episodes of all of our current stories, except for um, Armor, ex- except for Batman, of course, and then the Judge Anderson one-off this issue, as well as teasing a Judge Hershey story next episode, which we'll be seeing as well. 
and also just talking about their, um, the, ma- the magazine getting a new look in issue 10. Mid-issue, there's a big ad for trading cards based on the 1992 British Olympics team. And then after that, there's an ad for the upcoming, uh, or there, there's a teaser for the upcoming Judge Hershey solo story with drawings of Hershey by artists Brian Balland, Mike McMahon, and Paul Pert. I'd say uh, Pert sort of draws Hershey with kind of an Anna Wintour look or something like that. That's sort of like Bob with the flat with the with the flat black bangs, I guess. Um, it, in Dreadlines, one letter calls all the other letters sycophantic. Um, the diversity bait, r- debate rages on with personal attacks, yes. which I thought was like pretty shameful or whatever. Just yeah. like saying like, well, I'd want to know what this one, um, reader says to these uh, points. Uh, Thank uh, you very uh, much. Right. Or be a hypocrite. Right. Um, <laughs> before Facebook, I guess. Is, yeah. Is listen, you, exactly. Yeah, I'm it. trying to, <laughs> exactly. A shouting debate me as they sort of run after them. Um, <laughs> It is one of these things where, and this is something that I really remember about the magazine and not really feeling it, I guess, was that they'd have these huge multi-page discussions in the letters. And because it's like there's sort of two issues between, like, so you read a letter, you send the letter in, the letter gets printed. That basically means there's like two issues between when someone says, like, makes Mm. a point and then someone responds to that point. Right. And then two more issues until that response can be printed and so on. Right. And it just means, I feel like some of these conversations go on for years, basically. Right. Yeah. It's like a, it's a, it's like Facebook, or it's it, or like a flame war on Twitter or a message board, right. but like over the course of months, which right. is very strange. It's if you had to mail them your response, like, oh, okay, that's how they feel. In two or three yeah. weeks, they're going to get a piece of my mind. That's right. <laughs> Just literally a postcard that says your mother on it. Right. You know? it's, it's very good. He sent me a picture of a, a photo of his middle finger. What, what do you think that means? Right. Oh, by God, this he put together some kind of flip book that's just <laughs> that that video of that one dude blinking and doing a double take. <laughs> oh, that dastard. It's <laughs> high-level like, stuff. Flipping the pages to make the guy blink. Pretty saw send send a response gifts in the primitive forms. Um anyway. <laughs> After Dreadlines, oh, sorry, um, there's also um, general praise for the fortnightly, and then in a response to a letter, they actually lay out a pretty extensive plan of all the upcoming Dread stories for the next couple months in the course of this thing. Just then we're going to have a little, a little two-parter, then we're going to have Mechanismo, then we're going to have a couple of things after that. Then after Dreadlines, there's a playing card version of Devlin Waugh, where he appears to be the Devlin of Four Purple Squares. I don't know. It could be a tarot thing or something, but whatever. Just some Devlin Waugh pin-up action. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And speaking of dudes who might not be that good, Eli, or possibly even bad... Let's talk about story four, Armageddon, the bad bad. Oh, man. Sorry, were you going to say something? A little bit of a stretch on that one. No, no, listen. I'll I'll always have a good transition, Eli. I won't hear. I won't brook any criticism. All right. I do a thousand of these, you know. Um, script robot Alan Grant, art robot Carlos Scarlett, letting robot Gordon Robson. Final bad man, the last time. 
We see him on a field of red as he opens fire and a bunch of government types as this lady Lori looks on from an air vent. He finishes off the final dude, then sees Lori through the vent. Oh, no. He goes to kill her when Lori seems to glow within the vent and then the bad man starts to smoke and then catch on fire. His head explodes and there's gears and stuff in there. He's a robot. And she blew him up with her mind, I guess. I don't know. Um, Condro, the short guy, explains that the bad man is a cyborg that's PSI Borg, Eli. All right? Uh. He's got robotics by this part per square inch. And he says that the end is all coming soon. They got to run. We see one final message from the agency that says, basically um, responds to a study done by Helen Wambach, who is a figure in reincarnation stuff, I guess. I tried to look her up, Eli, but the only reason that she shows up on Wikipedia is because she wrote a book that has a similar name to a book. Or it has the same name as a book that has an actual Wikipedia page. And, like, the, that Wikipedia page says, this is not the book by this lady. And that's all that – that's where the only place she appears. Wow. All right. But she does past life regression stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. So who you were in your past lives, etc. And she says that what she did was apparently the mechanism that lets you see into your past lives also lets you see into your future lives, it would seem. But when she um, did future life readings with like a couple thousand people, just about 90% of them said that they don't – that they – don't have a future self past the year 1998. Like everybody dies in 1998, apparently. I see. And the only the only ones who survived were in tune with the higher vibrations. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know. Um, in a room full of computers, a shadowy man and woman say that they've done a good job, but Lori might still be a problem as they press a button and another bad man walks in and asks for his target. And the computer screen says to activate the B.A.D. man. It's like an acronym. And there's a little side note that says the future belongs to us. So with the ultimate Tom Tully special, that's the end of bad man. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, so like we've said, nothing really comes of this story. Um, this is sort of the end of it. Carlos is scary. We'll be back next episode with some dread action, and then a little while later with uh, Al's Baby Two, and then and Alan Grant, of course, is working on our next thrill. So, what do you think, uh, Eli? Finishing up this Batman stuff. I wish they would have explained a little bit more. I feel like they is almost um uh what what's the what's the term? Yeah. Um, when they just have the hero just find the solution in their pocket. Like, hey, here, yeah, here, yeah, here's yeah, the yeah, power like a Deus Machina or yeah, something exactly. like that. Yeah, God yeah. from the machine. You have to yeah. just sort of, oh, well, I beat that one. Okay. Right. Here's this ability that makes you make the bad guy's head explode sometimes. Oh, wow. Well, that's going to be very helpful when I'm trying to get away from this bad yeah. guy. Uh, but like, I've I've definitely seen an anime or two where <laughs> like – the climax of the first couple episodes is a character 
suddenly having a power that lets them instantly win the fight you know yeah and then like like i'm thinking of like uh like the first avatar season ends like that Mm. that's not an anime of course but you know i mean a similar thing (laughs) right where um you know ong develops his like avatar spirit kind of thing and And blows away the bad guys right exactly yeah and i do have to admit as i just based on uh the date um, that is something that was a lot more common back in the day. I think it's become mm, a little 92, bit- 92. Right. Yeah. Now it's just a super cliche. Right. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, now you need to actually have your uh, conclu- your conclusions make sense. I was uh, <laughs> I was uh, watching Naruto again. Just my brother sent me some stuff and it was just that the protagonist, every time anything happened that he couldn't logically beat, he was just like, Demon fox powers, I win. And it was just like, that was, and it's like, all right, well, that's not fun to watch. Like, you know, when, yeah. I, when I was watching it, I was like eating it up. Oh, yeah, those demon fox powers. That's really going to save the day. But now looking in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, that was just seems lazy. It just now. seems like, like he relies on his mysterious demon fox powers right. a little bit more than you'd like yeah, for someone. Exactly. You'd want to be like actually good at fighting right. or whatever. I'm, yeah, I want my protagonist to outsmart outmaneuver like do something yeah but when they're just like yeah not just here's the answer not just pull some magic out of their butt right. yeah definitely <laughs> you don't want the butt well, magic. Mean, and yeah definitely well i feel like you know in theory i guess i could see the story being that again Lloyd showed some wild power here and then so mm. a later story would be her learning to yeah i'd love that master it or whatever mm. that kind of stuff i would like that. and she's yeah, and then she's dodging the bat like more bad men, and then presumably some other conspiracy thing happens as a result of mm. all the world leaders getting killed at the UN and stuff like that. Right. Like I think all that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I don't I don't see how it leads to Judge Dredd for the record. <laughs> um and I don't and I really think that a lot of the this is the first part of a grand epic is more in the editorial around this stuff than in the actual story itself, I mm. guess. I don't know. Yeah, I can feel that. Yeah, but I, I agree, though. If it was a continuing story that she just has the ability of blowing up these particular cyborg brains and, you know, yeah. she had to learn how to use that and what that meant, that, I think that would be really yeah, interesting. Th- there's definitely seeds for a lot of – I mean, there's seeds for stories, right. you know? Like, if you really wanted to and be like, hey, I'm bringing back Armageddon, we're going to do it. Right. Like, there's, there's stuff yeah. to work with, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'd be interested. Yeah. I, I think ultimately it's the um, how they brought both of those right next to each other. How it was the, they're building mm. this whole thing. Then they hit you with head explosions immediately. And then, hey, he's a cyborg. There's more of them. And it's like yeah, definitely. They, they went for the double twist. And I think that you got to pull that off. That's tricky. Yeah, it did okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's finish up, Eli. I'm tired of talking about cyborgs because I want to talk about Story 5, Anderson, Cy Division. Nice. That's right. Yeah. From Borg to Division. Uh, yeah, right? you nailed it. Re- redeem myself. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Script robot Alan Grant, art robot David Roach, lettering robot Gordon Robson. We're in black and white, Eli, which I think... It- I, I I don't think we yeah I don't I don't think we've had a black and white story in the uh, in the magazine before you know I'm very much a part down. of uh, so 2000 cool. AD certainly and I think it's what um, David Roach this artist prefers as well he's a very he's a very gothic artist I'd say I guess like 
I feel like he's most at home when he's drawing stories about, um, like, a woman who is dealing with ghosts, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> draw women um, well, and, you draw and, ghosts and, well. Yeah, exactly. And, and indeed, here we are right now, I guess. But, you know, or maybe just like... I guess, like, uh, a woman in, like, kind of a diaphanous gown wandering <laughs> through either the hallways of a castle or the moors around a castle while holding a lantern <laughs> or, like, one of those candles with, like, the, 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 the thing that loops around your finger. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. That kind of stuff. <laughs> I feel like that, to me, that's the archetypal David Roach, um, um, like, like, Art, you know, that's like what everything flows from that, basically. Uh, anyway, Judge Anderson, the side judge herself and her partner, Standard Judge Giddis, are called the Noel Coward Block. Of course, the uh, British humorist and essayist and blah, 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 sort of very rich, bad, posh fellow. Um where there are reports of, of squawking and chicken smells. Oh, no. Mm. Arriving at the block, Anderson gets a side flash of both a chicken head and various, like, alchemy and black magic symbols. So she blows open the door of Johnny Betjeman's and reveals him to be an old man mid-chicken sacrifice. Yeah. He calls them fools and not to interrupt him. And when sort of a flying, a, a animate sword flies at Anderson, she dodges, but he collapses. She calls for a med wagon, but just gets static on her radio as Giddis checks Betjeman and finds him dead. It's, it's B-A, it's B-E-T-J-M-A-N. So I'm just trying to pronounce all these letters that I'm seeing, Eli. That's what I'm going for. Um, <laughs> suddenly though, a ghostly cloud rises up. It's got an old woman's face and bullets don't affect it, but it can toss Anderson and Giddis around. Oh no. Elsewhere, a bunch of folks are headed home from a party, complete with party hats and stuff at somebody's 40th birthday, when the ghost attacks them, ripping them limb from limb. Anderson wakes up, and we see the whole block has gone nuts. Um, some guy runs past him and goes to an elevator where the ghost is sitting on a big pile of what looks like human gore or something like that. It's pretty gross. Um, Giddis wants to call in the exorcist squad, but there's no time. Instead, Anderson communes with the dead man's body going back 40 years to when Betjeman was young and in love with a fellow actress named Joan Blythe. Uh, but she was tired of his black magic experiments. So instead, he killed her and tossed her body into the foundation of the then under construction Noel Coward block, like covering her <laughs> body in cement. And nobody noticed, I guess. Um, it's and then it seems like he then moved into the block, into the penthouse, of the block, and has kept her spirit alive and in slavery ever since. There's only one way to stop her, and that's to finish casting the spell that he was casting. Anderson casts the spell and is attacked by the ghost of blight. She gets tossed around, um, and like you know, partially ripped to pieces. Like she actually loses a lot of her armor in the course of being thrown around here. As she yells at Giddis to to kill the chicken and seal the deal of the spell. Finally, he does, and the ghost is sealed. Anderson falls to the floor. That'll hold Blythe until the exorcists get here to deal with it more permanently. And until then, how about we get something to eat? <laughs> like right. some chicken. 
And she's holding up the chicken's body, and right. Giddis looks like he's going to puke, which is pretty solid. <laughs> and that's it. Just a little one-shot one yeah. shot Anderson adventure here. There's some trouble I have with some of the things. Like, I'm pretty sure that old lady ghost flicked off uh, Anderson when he first escaped. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> no, she doesn't care. Right. Uh, just senior citizen doesn't need to care about your social norms. I no. also, yeah, I was, listen, she's past all that. I also have trouble when um, they show a threat's power uh, in two different mm-hmm. forms. Like fighting Anderson, just kind of shake him up, wiggle him around. I'm going to leave and tear some humans limb from limb. And I'm going to come back and just kind of flail around you a bit. Like if you had the ability to rip people's limbs off, you really should have led with that. You don't like warm up and then decide to especially with the person who can't actually do something about you versus just some randers passing by yeah i guess they were like this ghost isn't scary enough let's make sure we show that she is dangerous that she just you know doesn't want to you know mess up anderson you know that that would be rude uh, yeah i mean this is very much like the classic rules right where Mm -hmm. the beast will you know kill a couple red shirts but like kirk (laughs) just kind of gets pushed around you know (laughs) like this this is as it always was you know right (laughs) i guess i guess i guess going back to anime i've i've steph like i've i've been watching a demon slayer recently oh yeah there are definitely a lot of times where um regular guys Guys just get instantly killed where what's his face like you know not only dodges out of the way sometimes but just kind of gets pushed or something like doesn't mm. take the full brunt of the instant death you know right that is funny i hadn't really realized i that. mean <laughs> but it's, yeah, yeah makes sense. I, you, you, everybody does it so you can't really hold them against it you right, right. hold it against them i think right. you know when it's I no fun me- if they kill if they kill your if they kill the character you like in the first five minutes you know no one right. has fun with that yeah it's the it's the plot armor I'm trying to figure out if there's any media that avoids the plot armor. Uh, not really. It have to. It have to be one where they have like new main characters every couple episodes because they just keep losing them. You know. Right. Ah, dang it. Oh, uh, I've been watching one called um, uh, ReZero, where it's a it's a guy gets teleported to a magical dimension. Uh, but mm-hmm. the, the the twist is his power is that when he dies, he comes back to life in the past, like he has save points. So, oh, see, well, yeah, but that's a that's a <laughs> cheat, Eli. Right, like right. you can't you can't count like oh, like this show has the guts to kill a main character when being <laughs> killed is part of the main character's whole thing. You right. know, that's ridiculous. But I think they do it anyway. Day, right, <laughs> I agree. Anyway, but. Be, be, back to England or whatever. <laughs> Way off topic. I, it's my fault. Um, but I got to ask you what your top and bottom stories were for this issues seven and eight of the Judge Red Magazine, Volume Two. All right, let's see. You know, uh, I was like, you know what? I'll show Conrad. I'm going to come up with my top and bottom early before the podcast even happens, and then I'll Ooh. have this ready. And then I. Yes, said, you go over it again with me, and I'm like, I noticed a couple of things I didn't notice before, and I'm like, ah, oh, I got to toss that out, and you know, this is, uh, I got to re- no, no, reevaluate this. Um, I never think of it ahead of time. For the record, I always right. try to be in the moment with it because right. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just dumb. Like I just want to, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to be organized. No, it's passion. You know, you want to, you want to let the feeling, you know, move you. Um, yeah, yeah, I got a passion for fashion, and I got a passion for fascists. Which right. anyway. 
I'm trying to figure out. And I should mention that that we aren't counting uh, Judgment Day here because we're in a different timeline from the people who are reading that story. So, whatever. Right. I'm going to put Devlin Moi on bottom uh, because he hasn't Mm. proven himself to me yet. Uh, (laughs) Like, I was going to give, you know, um, the uh, originally going to give the bottom to um, uh, the last one we just read. It was. Anderson, uh, Anderson, to, 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 yeah, to Anderson, yes, yeah, just for the reasons I had already said. But at <laughs> least they seem to know what they're doing. And, you know, it's like, oh, we did the thing. You know, we're black and white. We're playing around with some stuff. But it was a one shot, uh, and it was fine. Uh, but I feel like Devlin Waugh has been going on for a while now, and they're still trying to hint at things. And uh, I don't know. It's I'm still waiting on the payoff, and I feel like they're not actually going to pay it off. Uh, if they yeah, do. I mean, <laughs> like, like, definitely unspoken elephant in the room is that everything we're reading right now is going to be over by the by halfway through next episode. You know, right? So if you're gonna if you're gonna impress, now is the time to start doing right. it. You know, yeah. yeah, I do agree that if they give me a really uh, awesome next chapter, I think it would greatly elevate the rest of it. But I just mm. I'm trying to figure out what it would take. To do that, so, <laughs> the, uh, they're already vampire sharks under the sea. So I mean, like, I don't know what else they like. How I don't know what they'll be able to do about it. Um, but I actually want to give the top to Soul Sisters. Oddly enough, um, they tied some stuff together that I was confused about, and they seem to know exactly what they are. They're they're kind of leaning further into their wacky silliness, and for some reason, I appreciate that. I'm like, yeah, I I get it. We got we got laser traps. We got uh, death orgies. We got like you know these uh, <laughs> all these things going on. And for some reason, I I that I give them major props for just going through with all this stuff. Uh, so yeah. Oh that. man, <laughs> I could I couldn't agree less, Eli. I gotta say, <laughs> I got I got Soul Sisters on my bottom. This thing is dumb. Um, <laughs> I feel like it's I feel like it's real telling that it's so confused that they had to put a recap at the start of it, which none of the none of these other stories do. That's true. I feel like it's a telling detail. Um and it feels like while they might have been attempting to do like a pissed, like like a thing about like Silver Age superheroes or something in this, now we've just we completely lost sight of the actual stars of this comic. We have like maybe two lines in, in mm. these two issues combined and stuff, and everything's just happening around them. Um <laughs> which I don't like. I don't like sort of when I forget god damn, people are gonna yell at me. There's sort of there's a store there's like a uh, a trope a trope that's like hey like if you go through this story do you realize that the protagonists actually like everything just happens around the protagonist they don't actually influence mm. any of the events right. that take place in the course of the story yeah. you know they don't and actually even need to be there yeah like everything that's happened in soul sisters so far would have happened whether the soul sisters were there or <laughs> not is what i'm trying to say that's true and i don't really I'm not a huge fan of that, I guess. And now it just seems like everything's just piling on. And so while loose ends are being tied together, they're, it's not like a, I've planned ahead and have been seeding all this stuff. It's like, ah, I got to put it. I, the deadlines with two issues, I got to start putting stuff together and just slam it on, which is not, I'm not, a, I'm not really feeling, I guess. I don't know. That's um, fair. Yeah. And then for my top, I don't know. Like, 
I did kind of like again, like I really like the art in Devlin Wah. Yes. And it is beautiful. I think there are some elements of just kind of like creepiness and stuff that I think are pretty fun. Mm. Just the vampires coming to eat you. I'm tempted to just go a complete reverse of you. Yeah. And give my top to this Anderson story, Eli, because nice. I think it just came out and did what it wanted to do. You know, it just sort of like fill some pages, tell kind of a fun Judge Anderson story about ghosts and psychic powers, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, and like that was kind of its ambition and it succeeded in that aim. So I think that might be my top because honestly, like I definitely didn't really like Batman that much. Oh, um, <laughs> right. Like you, I am like... The thing is that Devlin Waugh is actually a pretty big character in the magazine. Like, he's very much like one of these sort of homegrown magazine characters that will that we will be seeing a lot going forward and stuff. And I was hoping to be more wowed by his first appearance here. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I'm just not feeling that wowed by it, I guess, which is a right. bummer. Um, but you know, like I was just hoping for a grace note or two, I guess. And maybe it's just, uh, them consciously subverting my expectations. Like, yeah, no, he's not good at fighting. Why does <laughs> fighting have to make someone good, huh? Yoda right. on your ass. But right. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know if like that feels like a cop out sometimes. So I'm not so <laughs> sure about it. I feel that. Um, yeah, but so I'm not really feeling that. And then down on Soul Sisters, and we're in a different timeline from Judgment Day, so limited choices. So I'll put, I'll put Anderson on the top. It's fine. Nice. All right. I like it. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for this next, uh, next revamp in issue 10. I feel like I'm ready to get some new stories in here because these ones have been tough ones. This has been a tough, tough section at the start of the magazine. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, I hope that despite my belly ache, and I hope you enjoyed the show, if you're listening, as always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at BigMegOne.com. Feel free to contact us at BigMegOne at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. For all those, check out Big Meg One. that's with O-N-E written out, and you'll find us. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardinghan, Zane Kip Miller, and your friend in the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support this show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradleline. That's our podcast network. There you can uh, support the show and receive a bunch of extra rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of Modern 2080 in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. Um, also, if you're out here and you're enjoying the show, feel free to rate and review us wherever you're listening to it. Helps us out a, a measure, but helps we'll find the show. Come back next time as we'll finish up all of our current stories, check out a Judge Hershey one-shot, and then start all new adventures with Judges Dread, Anderson, and Armitage. And then after that, we'll head north for some Calhab justice, which is like Scottish judges with kilts and stuff, you like, just FYI. <laughs> nice, sounds and until then, yeah, it should be good. And until then, I'm Conrad, there you are, and we are Big Meg One. Drop it.